You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Before we begin today, ladies and gentlemen, please just be aware that we experienced some connection issues during this episode and we did not realize it, that there was going to be some sort of ramification due to this until afterwards. And so our audio files were not accessible. Now we have a cloud-based backup file for this, which is what we used to in order to salvage this, but it combines all the audio files into one, making it basically not able to be edited. Audio levels can't be balanced, background noise can't be adjusted or removed, and it's just not going to be as clean or crisp um, as usual. So thank you for your patience. Enjoy Mike. He still has a fantastic conversation. I've listened through this whole thing. It's still listenable. So thank you for your patience and enjoy. So Libertyville, which Libertyville is this? Is this Illinois? Uh, this is Illinois, yes. Look yeah. at you. One of Close you is, to us, though. One of you is from Wisconsin, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm Milwaukee. My wife's Lake Geneva. Oh, sweet. I often run around Lake Geneva. Do you? Yeah, it's a good run. It's uh, 22, 21 miles, uh, but it's a nice little workout. I, I don't know if you're aware. Acquainted with that one. I don't know if you're aware, Mike, but Bracken is the FKT holder around Lake Geneva. It's his, no, it's not his most proud oh. accomplishment. No, it got broke. <laughs> Did it get broke? Yeah, uh, someone, okay. someone this summer took it. There are two guys who went after it, just missed it, and then they both came back and broke it. What is the time? Oh, I should know this. It's like 2.32 maybe, 2.30. Okay. All right. That's pretty and, hot. <laughs> it's my t- it's my time trial, one of my go-to time trial fitness checks. It's a, it's my long time trial location. That's awesome. That's cool. That's a great time too. I mean, I've, I've probably run that. That path probably has, I don't know, 2,000 miles on it for me. That was my one awesome. of my go-to trails. So that's funny that's that you've cool. been there. I like that. Yeah, yeah, you know. I, I've been in Libertyville for like 10 years now. And when I moved up here, that was one of the first things everyone said, like, you got to go run that trail because there's there's really not trails in northern Illinois. No. Uh, and so that was like my first taste of it. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a great workout. I have blown up so many times on that trail in the heat. <laughs> I just did a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it was hot. Yeah. yeah Do you have a preferred direction to go? Starting? I always always go clockwise uh from bigfoot beach okay i always go gone counter when i do the whole thing i do clockwise from downtown lake geneva in front of the library okay all right so just like a mile around the clock backwards is where i start from but we run the same direction then when i do easy recovery runs or workouts i'll start from wherever we used to live on the opposite side in walworth so I used to, uh, that's over okay. by Fontana, by the beach there. So when yeah, we, yeah. we lived there for three years. I did a lot starting from that end, but yeah, I'm a clockwise guy. Same. I, I, it just feels weird to go the other way on that route. And they why. both did it counter. And so I might do counter the oh, next time. really? Yeah. That's the secret. Aren't then. those different <laughs> FKTs though? Those are different be. FKTs. That's not the same FKT. It is. It's in a circular, though. in a looped base FKT, it's point to point from You can go either point. way? You lie. On Strava, automatically? No, on FKT.com. Yeah, on yeah, FastestKnownTime.com. Oh, okay, on FKT. Yeah, on Strava, yeah. they're two different. But on for a true FKT, you can start anywhere on the dial as long as you return there. It's very strange because then there's a lot of strategy. Yeah, I'd say you still own the FKT your way. 
That's that's right. It's going on my tombstone. Yeah, I'm going to follow the Strava one on this. You know that real I strongly steep... disagree. Oh, <laughs> I strongly disagree with going clockwise. I think going <laughs> clockwise is for idiots. Counterclockwise is the way we run around the track, Mike. And that should be ingrained in anybody with a track background. And I know I don't think you ran in college, but I think that goes against everything holy with us as human beings brought up in track. What is wrong with you guys? You go left. You don't go right. (laughs) You're going to learn that I've done everything unconventionally in my running history because I don't have a track background. So, yeah, I'll go clockwise. Well, and clockwise exists originally because I, I created actually that FKT loop. Okay. It, it was on Strava, but it wasn't on fastest known time because back in the day, they used to run a race around the perimeter. Okay. Lake Geneva had a marathon weekend. On the road surrounding the lake, there was a marathon, a half marathon, a 10K, and a 5K. And then the same day, there was a race on the lake path around. And that's the path. It, that's why I started there. It used to start and stop in front of the library. Oh, and so. Cool. The guy who won it the year I did it, which was the last year. They had run it several years, and then that organization went under. He had run like a 228. None of us have still touched his time. Wow. And he was an Illinois guy. I bet it, if I could find the name, you would know it. He's like a he's like a local legend in northern Illinois. He used to win all the road racing. So he came out and smoked us. We still haven't touched his time. But yeah. that was just That's following cool. the race course, which is why it's clockwise, Kirk. Okay. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's <laughs> wrong. Same. We're not going to um, sway him on this. Um, I, I, I'm not done oh with this. Oh, no, I am rude. Before we wrap up, before <laughs> we wrap up the Lake Geneva talk, yeah. we're, he and I are going to talk a little shop here, strategy. On that course, the worst part yeah. is if we go our way clockwise is the really steep yeah. switchback yep. asphalt oh, yeah. hill. Yeah, it's awful. By going clockwise, yeah. counterclockwise, you get to go down that. It's easy. So I think I'm going to do that. It's like wearing super shoes. It doesn't count, yeah, but it counts. You're, you're basically <laughs> cheating. Yeah. You, you've got it. Just go ahead and do it. That's like a jog. Do you mind as well start from right there and finish right there? Oh yeah, strong start. <laughs> yeah, I, that's listen. Why don't I you two play? Oh, go ahead. That's why I think I always do it that way because you. I want the workout. You can't fake it. <laughs> no. Well, I'd like to remind you that you start and end at the same elevation, and I don't know what I'm talking about here, but the yeah. gain and loss should be equal either way, right? So isn't it negligible? It's like this. It's like a legit 25 to 30% incline on pavement, but this way it gets like this. So you take like a half yeah. mile to work up yeah, to I it, or you get it all, but it's at like probably mile... 18 17 of the route so you hit the worst part at your lowest part and sometimes it removes the final shred of your legs doing the other way you would hit it at mile three or four at a gradual incline and then just bomb down it yeah seems easy (laughs) but we're gonna have to run this well i'm also from wisconsin here mike don't don't i know things about wisconsin i just happened to transplant to minnesota (laughs) i know things and I've been down there too. I keep threatening Bracken with one day. I just when he owned the FKT, I was like, I'm going to come down on a Saturday morning and not tell you, and I'm going to go run it so you get the uh oh email, and then I'm going to surprise yeah. him at his house and he's going to be stuck with me for the weekend. But haven't done it yet. That's always a great surprise from a friend. <laughs> I got a uh oh email from Strava Ma- this morning. Oh, you got one this morning. Yeah, from where? From like Geneva as well. Ironically, oh. D- different path. Go on out. We'll wait. We can postpone. 
Problem is now I'm a 60 minute drive <laughs> from here, and I have a race in two days. I can't go chasing crowns Ooh. right now. Oh man, you got like a 24 hour window to respond. <laughs> it's, and it's some, and I don't mean this in any way. It's some geriatric woman on a bike with a basket on it, and she didn't change her settings. It always is, and it's always infuriating. You know, I, w- I would have thought that, but I checked. This segment is on grass, and it's only uh, a place you would get to if you were trying to run it. Okay. And I checked it out. It was in the middle of a run. It was a seven-mile run this guy did. It was legit. He just took yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that checks all the boxes. Yeah. Didn't make me feel any better. Yeah, it no. does. <laughs> um, you quiet down your sirens there, Bracken. I'm going to introduce our guest. Is yeah. that cool about now? <laughs> There it goes. Bracken lives in a very high siren density area, so sometimes this happens. Um, Mike, uh, we're talking to Mike Burnett today. We have no history with you. We don't know you at all um, personally, but uh, a listener of ours, Brian, and I'm forgetting his last name, reached out to us twice saying that we have to talk to this guy, Mike, uh, who's who's done some crazy stuff, and I believe you're currently training for Leadville as well. Um, but to just rip, rip the bandaid off, which you're training for Leadville living in Northern Illinois, which is a whole conversation in itself, which we can relate to (laughs) Bracken and I living in the Midwest and we've run big mountain races, not 100 mile mountain races, but, um, but your accomplishment that this listener, Brian kept emailing us about was like, this dude has run sub three hour marathons in all 50 States. And I believe you are one of six people to have done that, at least at the time uh, you finished it. So six yeah, people in history. How many? There might it might be eight, uh, and two of the guys have done it twice. Eight. So okay, well, always somebody better. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I believe, and that's, that's the truth. The but we're talking to okay. Well, we're talking to you, Mike Burnett, today, who's done this. We know nothing. We haven't unboxed this at all. And all I know is from going onto your blog and reading that you have no running background. This is something that you found after high school and college. And so like just unboxing all that and then having the the run talent and fortitude to go run sub three hours uh, in all 50 states. Like you don't hear that story every day. At least I don't. Maybe Bracken yeah. does. But anyways, I think that's a story worth chatting about. So that's why we're talking to you today. Well, I'm glad to be here and share that story. Um because, yeah, I don't come from a running background at all. Uh, I went to small schools that, you know, my high school didn't even have a track team. Uh, and I just, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, but I love to run. And so I, I would just run when I felt like running. And I just got faster doing it. So that snowballed into what, you know, chasing after some big, dumb accomplishment. Whenever I hear someone found running, I always get very interested. Because it's it's not the go-to thing to find in life. There's generally some precipitating event that leads you to find running. So because oh, yeah. I don't know your background, I'm interested what that is. Uh, so that's true, right? Because, uh, I mean, just in school, like, running was torture. Right. Gym class. You had to test and do the mm. mile. I was the one that liked that. And so in, like, seventh grade, maybe, I had a gym teacher that loved to have us run the mile and I loved it. And I found that chasing the time and making myself better at it was enjoyable. But that was my only taste of like racing, uh, so to say, so to speak. 
Uh, after that, like I just ran when I got too much energy. I was always a high energy kid. So when I wanted to burn off some steam, I'd go for a little run. And they were always, you know, three, six miles, you know, before watches. So it was just go out, burn off some steam, come back and eat. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college and maybe my junior year, I was dating a woman who kind of had a running background and she kept talking about uh, the, the marathon and how she'd love to run a marathon someday. I didn't know what it was. Like I had run like the occasional 5K like from my mm-hmm. small town, but I had no idea what that word even was. And I'm 21, 20 years old. And so I start looking it up and I found a, a book in the library by Hal Higdon. Mm-hmm. How to train for a marathon, right? Like everybody's starting point nice, for the marathon nice. if you don't know better. And so I read that a little bit and I thought like, all right, I'll do the Chicago marathon in 2001 to impress this girlfriend. <laughs> At, classic this, I mean, story here, Mike. Classic story. Classic right? like, story. It, had, it was nothing to do with me. I didn't want to run a yep. marathon, but I wanted to impress this girl. And she had talked about it so much. So I thought like, all right, this can't be that bad. And so I followed uh, Hal Higdon's plan, but not really. Like mm-hmm. some, like those, the long runs were daunting. So the most I did was maybe 13 miles once. And I thought, all right, well, what's twice that in a race? <laughs> so sure enough, I get to the marathon 2001 and I ran it. Uh, I suffered through it. It was miserable. It was like a, a four hour marathon. Um, which is respectable for a mm-hmm. lot of people. And at the time, I was really happy about it. But I also hurt like hell. And I said I would never do it again. And shortly afterwards, that girlfriend and I broke up. And I thought, well, oh, that race is stupid and this relationship is over. So Maybe if you would have ran 3.30 or better, I suppose <laughs> yes. it would have worked out, huh? I, so that yeah. might have been the inspiration to get her back. I don't know. <laughs> Did you run with but, her that day? <laughs> No, she didn't. uh, She had not run one, and like I'd lost touch with her, and I don't know if she ever ran one. Uh, But she talked about it so much that I just thought, like, I gotta try it. I gotta see what this is all about. And so that was 2001. I let a few months go by, and then like I thought, okay, no, I do want to do this again. And then I just thought, like, I'll do Chicago every year. I won't really train. It's just something to burn off steam. I had the energy to do it. And so every year I would do it. I would get a little bit better. And then I thought, oh, maybe if I trained, I can get even better. And then, you know, during this time, I had gotten married and my wife said, look, I'm going to sign you up for a training group and I'm going to take you to Fleet Feet and get a real pair of shoes because you're not giving this any attention. (laughs) So she did this. And so I trained with a proper marathon group that had us do these long runs. Uh, I got a pair of shoes that actually like were comfortable I understood a little bit more about like the biomechanics of running and doing some workouts. Like I still wasn't doing speed workouts because I didn't know what that stuff was. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to run. And if I felt like running fast for a long run, I would run fast for a long run. Uh, and so through this group, I realized that running a marathon in under three hours was kind of a thing. Uh, and it got you some respect. And so I thought, well, I could probably do that. Uh, and so after running with them for a year, I ran a 302, uh, in like 2008, maybe, well, uh, 2007. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm really close. And I stopped for a bathroom stop, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or no, I didn't even stop for a bathroom. I was running with a friend who had to go to the bathroom. And so I stopped with him and I'm sitting there and he never came out. I was like, oh, 
I gotta run this on my own now. <laughs> and I wasn't he never came out. No, he never came out. <laughs> so it was probably a to this movie. day he is still in there. I have no idea where he went. So anyway, that made me realize it was really <laughs> close, and that qualified me for Boston. Which, again, I didn't know what that was. And so I thought, oh, I guess I got to do that race now. Because that's, I, you know, I had only done Chicago marathons. And Boston, I guess, was a thing that you had to do if you can qualify. So, yeah, that, you know, I trained through the winter for the first time. Because usually I would take winters off because mm-hmm. I didn't want to run in the cold in the Midwest. So I did that. I ran with a, a group again through Fleet Feet in Chicago. And they had a whole group that you know, rented hotels. They had their own private bus that would take you to the Boston start line. I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's like the royalty of running. So Mm -hmm. I went out and did it in 2009 and ran like the perfect race, like perfectly even splits. I'm running through the Newton Hills and that's like mile 17 through 21-ish, something like that. And I I look over to my friend. I'm like, dude, where was... uh, where were these hills they were talking about? And we were in them. And this guy, another guy, <laughs> just kind of smirks, looks at me, and he's like, those were the hills, you asshole. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I'm doing good. Like, this feels mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, and so from there, I, <laughs> I picked up the pace. I nine, and I finished in line 259. And I thought, like, wow, all right, that's it. I'm done. I did what I had to do. And so, yeah, so there, I, I, I had my taste of sub three, but I also had a taste of traveling and running. And I realized like, I, you know, my whole life I've been in bands and uh, I, I've toured a bit. I, I loved just taking road trips and exploring other cities. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that ain't going to happen now. I'm married. So maybe I can do this with running. And so I started looking and traveling more. And uh, so I picked a few more races and each time I was getting faster, but I was also realizing, well, there's another state that's a sub three and there's another mm-hmm. state that's a sub three. And then, you know, after a handful of these, I, I met a guy in Vermont at a race that I thought I was going to win because there was like two or 300 people. And he shows up and everyone's treating him like a celebrity. And his name is uh, Chuck Engel, uh, who worked for like MarathonGuide.com. And he was just an avid marathoner who had done this 50 sub three thing. And so, yeah, he wins that race. But as I'm talking with him, I realized, like, that's a goal I want to try. And so that's when it started. And then I just started chipping away slowly but surely. And, uh, you know, maybe 12 years, I got them done. I didn't, you know, there would be states I would go to and I'd miss the mark. And that probably happened six, eight, ten times. So I'd have to repeat that state. There's a couple of states I had to do three times. (laughs) Really? Yeah, and it's, you know, you'd get there and I was violently sick. And I'd try to run through it and I just couldn't do it. Or the weather was garbage. Or my training was off and I was injured. Like, you realize trying to maintain consistency throughout a goal like this is a lot harder than just looking at it on paper and being like, yeah, I'm a sub three marathoner, not just times 50, but it doesn't really work out that way. Like you have to what's, constantly. What's the closest you've cut it? I need to know right now before yes. we continue. What's the closest That's you've a, cut it? And what's the closest uh, you've missed it? <laughs> uh, the closest I've cut it is a, a fun one. It was Texas, uh, Austin, Texas. This is when it was the Livestrong Marathon that was hosted by 
Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, cool. Lance is like, he's out there. He's the MC. Like, I'm super excited. But it's Texas, and it's one of those races that has some rolling hills that I'm not really used to. But also, the night before, we went to uh, a barbecue place called Salt Lake, which if you've ever been out in that area of uh, Texas, it's like a, just a big ranch that everyone goes to and just loads up on meat. Like two pounds of meat on your plate. We brought a growler of beer. That, and so I must have had two pounds of meat and almost a growler of beer the night before this race. Because back then, like, I didn't care. I, I just would wake up and run, and I was able to do sub-threes. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, it's not going to be a big deal. I threw up in my mouth a couple of times. <laughs> I'm at mile 23. I'm looking at my watch. I thought, there's no way in hell I'm going to get this. This is the worst feeling. And I'm running down to the second. It's 2.59 uh, 42, I believe, was the close. Uh, and Jeez. I was just sweating meat bullets. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> so there was that. And I, I've had a few other close ones since then. Missoula, uh, Montana, um, was kind of tough. I also at 259 and change. Bit of I think altitude. it might have been the exact same. It's a bit of altitude, but that one's mm. 90 degrees in the sun. So it's a hot race. Uh, and that was just, that was tough to suffer through. And they had a three hour pace runner hmm. that was by himself that passed me in like, at like mile 24. And that was the kick in the ass I needed to just like hang on to him. So there's been some close ones, but that Texas one was something. <laughs> so yeah, after that. Uh, and what's the closest you've missed by three <laughs> hours and what? What's the closest miss? Because that has to be the really the, the ones that those. Linger. You know what? I didn't. I haven't had a lot of those. There are two that stand out. One of them is because I tried to run a back to back marathon, like one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and I wanted to do sub three for both of them. So I on Saturday I sub threed in New Hampshire. And drove about six hours to Maine, and I ran a three hundred three, hmm. and so that was that was kind of tough to swallow. But also, like I, I was going in big, so I just wanted to see if I could do it. Were you uh, off from that, the start, or were you on pace and no, you fade? I was on. Yeah, I was on. Like any marathon, like a lot of good marathons, I felt great until mile eighteen, hmm. and then it just the legs could not turn over. Maine is a bit of a rolling hill course. And so it just, it got me and I was slipping and slipping. And by mile 22 or 23, I knew it was over. Uh, so that one was, at least I knew the reason for it. <laughs> uh, Bend, Oregon, I also ran a 302 and change or 303. That one was harder to swallow because uh, that's where uh, a professional runner named Max King lives. We know Max. And he's a, yeah. So he's a great ultra mm-hmm. runner, right? Mm-hmm. He runs marathons just for like little warm ups. And so he lives there, and I'm standing at the start line, and I look over and I realize, like, I think I know who that guy is. And so I start with his pack. There's like four, five, six of us. And uh, we start running. We run past his house. His family's out waving. And then he goes, Oh, we're off course. What are you? He's like, Oh, yeah, I missed a turn. <laughs> and we're, we started fast. Like, we're doing a six-minute mile, probably the first couple of miles, which is a little too unnecessary for just trying to get a sub-three. So we start fast. We go off course for about uh, probably not even a mile, 0.75 total it added. Uh, Then we get back on track. My pace is okay. You kind of go uphill, 
and then you come back downhill for the next 13. And on the way down at like mile 24, you cut into a trail and run a little bit of single track. I was still on pace, uh, but I tripped on a route. I fell and I was just like, it's not going to happen. I just gave up. So that one was tough because I came so close, but there were so many things throwing me off course. Max went uh, off course in his own marathon. In his own town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that, like, it was, it was just funny. Like, this is what happens. Like, you can't, you do so many of these and you just expect, like, oh, yeah, just consistency. They're all going to be the same. The weather's going to be perfect. Like, I'm going to feel great every time. And that's not the case. There's so many variables to the marathon. Uh, and this is just another example of it. And, and like every time you just got to laugh and roll with it. And that's what happened. And Bend is just pretty to run in. And I was happy to run Oregon again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you learn from it and you do another one. And that's just the way it worked. I, this isn't like a pressing need to know, but I am curious. How much have you invested into this pursuit? Uh, this is great. Cause, uh, so I'm, a, a an accountant by okay. trade. So you right? know, uh, but so I know, and so I left accounting ten years ago. So I've been a stay-at-home dad, and that's helped okay. with this travel and with the running. Mm-hmm. But I still have that accounting nature about me. So I started tracking a lot of this when I was uh, started it, and it I've spent uh, it's about a hundred and twenty thousand all in for the travel, the experience, racing, the, the shoes. What it took to get through, it, it was probably 60 marathons to complete 50 of them in under three hours. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, it was, it, it's not cheap, <laughs> but I also didn't do it on the cheap side. Like people, there are a lot of people that try to run a state in every marathon. There are whole clubs dedicated to this from, uh, there's a, it's called the 50 state marathon club. And then there's one called marathon maniacs. Those are the biggest ones, and they're tracking members trying to do this. But a lot of people's pursuit is just get in, race, go home. And Mm -hmm. I would never spend less than three days in the area because my whole pursuit was to see the town. So I would run the race. I'd kind of see where the coffee shops or the breweries are, Mm -hmm. find out a place I wanted to eat, and I'd explore. And so I spent more time and money exploring the area, and the race was just kind of my way to tour the city. It's a hefty investment. Yeah. <laughs> but so my wife is, I don't know if you know what City Strides is. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So my wife's big into City Strides just over the last three years. That's become okay. her new thing. So she's trying to run okay. every street in Milwaukee and she's run awesome. all over. But what it did is she learned the city. And now like we'll go out yeah. to eat someplace. She'll be like, there's this place I really want to take you because it has a cute door. Or this neighborhood's yeah. awesome. Let's go eat there. I can't help but imagine that you found so many gems or changed your preconceived notions about states and cities that you've been in. Absolutely. Uh, I I think that was the beauty of it is I always enjoyed the adventure or exploring the city and finding cool little things. Uh, And so through, I created this blog where after every race, I would kind of recap it, but I didn't write it from like a running technical, here's how I trained, here's every mile of the race uh, perspective. Mine was more like, Hey, th- this city and area is cool. Here's the great place to camp, uh, mm. climb this mountain while you're here, and then go to this brewery. Uh, and oh yeah, and then there's this race. It's really well run. Like that's kind of the way I wrote it, and it just continued and continued. And so now I there should be an entry for every race that I attempted along the way. And then I'll look back on this, or I'll share with friends like, oh hey, you're going to Missoula. 
this place had a great burrito, uh, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like that's the note I have rather than mile 22 was a bear. You climb up this hill and you turn left like that stuff. That's just the race to me. Uh, right. the rest of it is what I love. So I got to ask a couple more questions here so I can really understand the stage. Uh, what is your best marathon to date? First question. Uh, what is that? Uh, best one is in Maryland. I ran a 244, uh, 30. That's moving. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So my, my question then on that is, and I don't mean to, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, but as you said, there's levels to everything. <laughs> it's different if there's a 220 marathoner going out and doing this. And then there's a difference between a 250 marathoner going out and doing this because you have to get it more right every time you hit it yes. in order yeah. to accomplish it. So my question is, were you going out there and like having to race to ensure that these markers were hit most of the time? Like you towed the line, like I'm going to run today. Or did yeah. you tell the line going, I just got to run, what, 6.55 pace or whatever it comes out to just sure. to ensure? That's my strong curiosity. Uh, so that's a great question because when I started looking at the type of runners that have accomplished 50 sub three marathons in each state, uh, generally it is the 220, 230 runner. They were post-collegiate, great runners, could put together a strong PR, but not strong enough to make money not strong enough to get any kind of attention Mm. from it. So they went for this goal um, and then adjusted slightly to like, you know, slower paces to them, but enough to comfortably run these. For me, that was never it. Like I'm not good enough to run a 230, nor did I have any interest in putting in the effort to become a 230 runner. That just wasn't, what does that get me? Like, oh, great. You went from 244 to 230. Cool. You're not getting paid to do it. So mm-hmm. what's the point? So to me, it was more the thrill of towing the line. And that's, that. I mean, I'd say av- uh, when I look back on my average of every marathon, and I, I've run 80 marathons now, <clears throat> my average is about a 255. And so I was always, the, thr- the, the thrill at the start line was, am I going to make this or not? Like it was mm-hmm. never a sure thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about it. Like that excitement of let's see what happens today. Like, cause you give me two or three variables to throw me off that course, that's going to eat those five minutes. Uh, and so that was the interesting part is that I would go into it never to run a PR because I knew that like I had to stay healthy enough to sometimes run a marathon the next day or usually like a month later. Cause I, on average, maybe six to eight a, a year that I was doing during this. So it was more about staying healthy, staying comfortable and I had a goal usually where I would run through mile 20 at around, you know, a time. So 2.12, a 2.15 clock time. If I hit that at mile 20, then I knew I can ease off a little bit. I can coast in with a seven-minute mile, and I would hit my mark. And that's usually how I would approach it. Hmm. Uh, there's a few races that sometimes you're just feeling good, uh, like in Maryland, I just kind of went out a little bit hotter. I had someone to chase. Everything kind of lined up. Uh, and in those races, I would stretch a little bit, but never enough to hurt myself. Like in the back of my mind, it was always, all right, don't overextend. Don't pull a hamstring. Like just get through this and make it to the next start line. And so, yeah, I, I, I approached it more as let's get just under sub three. We both work with. Well, that makes t- it more impressive in my eyes. Thank oh, yeah, you. for sure. 
That's it. I was just wrapping that up. But yeah, that's very impressive that way. And that's the, what I understood it as. But it's a very different feat. What uh, you know, athlete right. A versus athlete B. Let's just call it very different accomplishments, in my opinion. But oh yeah, that's all. Just wrapping that up. Yeah, having to race it changes the dynamic of it. Yes. Right. It, absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, you're right. Those are two different types of runners, and it, you know. I ended up starting, founding uh, run clubs, um, creating races and race directing them. And the more runners I came across, that racing mentality is tough to maintain through a, a, a long-term goal mm-hmm. like 50 sub-marathons. Like, you can either do one or the other. It's very few runners that can, like, PR and then get to that start line two weeks later and keep at it and keep at it. Like, you got to pick. It, it, you, you, there's a fork in the road and so i just chose to have fun but work and just get it under sub three we have a lot of people that will come to us and say i want to run my first marathon or we'll have people Mm -hmm. that will come and say i've run a bunch i want to do it right but with all the people who are chasing some sort of i would say a big goal a destination race a long race it requires a chunk of time it requires a chunk of cash and it requires a bit of a readjustment of your life priorities and invariably i would say maybe not invariably but about 50 percent of the people that i work with i assume kirk it's about like that at some point there if there's a family involved there comes this point where this is now a stressor on us it was cool at first i love that you were taking charge of your physicality and your body and you're a new person because you've got a goal to go after and i like what that's done around the house but eventually it starts to go the other way. And mm-hmm. your goal is bigger than anyone that I've worked with. It's longer in terms of years spent doing it. How has yeah. that been throughout this process? I'm not saying like, tell me your wife was hard on you because that's not <laughs> the point. But how, sure. did, how did the life pursuit balance work? Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, leave work. I mean, that's it's a huge help. Uh, you know, being a stay-at-home dad isn't, easy it's not uh not work but you get better windows to train and so for the first 25 marathons that was i I don't know maybe the first 20 we did not have children and that was just fun like she would come to all of them they were vacations because we Mm -hmm. were there to see the place not run so much uh and then we had kids and that's also when i was able to leave work so we, uh, we still managed it like I would handle as much as I could as the stay-at-home dad, but then I can still get away for three or four days on a weekend. And that worked for a little while. And then we ultimately had three kids all with, they're all 16 months apart. (laughs) So it's just kind of a whirlwind of like raising kids, her getting further in her career. Uh, And so a lot of the, the, you know, the the household stuff was on me, Uh, but she was super supportive of me getting away not just to like finish this goal, but like being in the house all the time, raising children just wears on you and she can see it on me. So me escaping to another city for three days was rejuvenating and being able to run and knock off another accomplishment was just awesome. And so throughout it all, she's been supportive of that emotionally and financially. Uh, and so that's been a huge help because you're right, like something like that, like spouses, you know, the, the family can change and mm-hmm. when this goal is 10, 12 years going on, like, when is it going to end? It's eating into this. But that, it's never been that way with us. And that's, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to say, like, that's been a huge help 
in that I probably would have given up because just personally, there's a stretch between like, you know, your 30th to 40th marathon that I just did not see the end in sight. Like I felt like this isn't going to, this is, I don't want to do this. This is hard. Uh, I don't know if I can keep this up. And so she was supportive through that. And coincidentally, I had also founded this run club that was super supportive of it. And that motivated me to kind of keep it going. And through it, I would create, uh, I, I would say, hey, club, who wants to run Rhode Island? Let's set up an event. Mm-hmm. And so this club came with me to the last 25, of almost 30 of them. Uh, in numbers of anywhere from, you know, six of them to 50 of them. Like we had 50 some people go to Alaska. Uh, that was my last state, but not my last sub three. I had to go return to do a few. Uh, so it just grew and it grew and it became such like a, an event that everyone was supportive. Everyone really enjoyed being part of it. And so Mm -hmm. I, my wife was just loved that it, it worked and we were able to manage the family. That's super nice. You're the, uh, yeah, you're the second stay-at-home dad we've talked to in a row, accomplishing <laughs> big li- things. It's I just, just finished that. Oh, one. you listened to the last one? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, I mean, what that. are the chances of that? <laughs> I, you know, I just caught up on that one, and I thought, like, geez, do, is are all of us just stay-at-home dads? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we only interview stay-at-home. <laughs> We have a very niche running podcast. Surprise. Hey, there, there's a bunch yeah. of us out there. Uh, but, so I thought that was cool because I – Are you Wait, are you a listener of the podcast or did you just, did you just so, check it out since we asked? I checked it out a couple of months ago. Brian told me, hey, I was telling hmm. these guys about you. And so I, I was like, all right, I'll give it a listen. And I was like, wow, this, this is good. Like, so I've been catching up on the last probably two months hmm. of podcasts. Uh, so yeah, recent new listener. Uh, and so as I'm listening, I'm thinking like, even when you're talking about like training weeks and, uh, some of that talk, I'm like, wow, this is what I was doing. This is what I was giving to the run club. This is what I, my training turned into Mm. for the, the second half of these marathons when I had to be more focused. So a lot of it, I just found myself relating to. And then I, I listened to, uh, uh, what was his name? Matt, uh, gross or what was Mm-hmm. I forget your last one. Uh, yeah. And I'm listening to him talk yep. about like being a stay-at-home dad. I'm thinking, man, all of this, like it just hits. Like he's right. I'm living the same life. But it, it's nice because it affords you that opportunity to do these big goals. Uh, and so I'll keep doing it as long as I can. How old are your kids now? Uh, ten, nine, and soon to be eight. Okay. I have ten, eight, five. Do oh. Do they have any concept of what you do? Like do they grasp? Not, not really. Uh, you know, there's it's – uh, it's weird because, like, as a runner, none of my kids are like into running, and maybe it's too young. But also, I don't really push them into that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I think they understand what uh, the accomplishment was, but they do. Uh, like, you know, last year they came home from school and they're like, "Dad, we Googled you in classroom." <laughs> mm-hmm. Dad we saw some YouTube video of you like winning a race or something. So they're they're starting to get it. I think just by way of YouTube, not so yeah. much dad's story. <laughs> so, I mean, that's been fun because I think they now realize like, oh, dad did something special and yeah. whatever he likes to do. So When I really pursued running post-collegiately, our kids were young uh-huh. and they traveled with me to the races. I was fortunate for that. My wife stays yeah. home and so it, same kind of thing. And yeah. then I, I haven't raced much in several years. 
dealing with injuries and nonsense. And I started training a little bit more this year. Mm-hmm. And I jumped in a few races. And every time I did something, my kids were like, Dad, you're awesome. Like, what do you mean you're <laughs> awesome? Great. This is nothing compared to what I used to do. They have no concept of it. They don't no, remember it. They don't. It's crazy that like an eight-year-old doesn't remember when they're four. Yeah. And so they're getting to that age where they start to grasp something and it's, it, it does change a little something for you realizing that all the things I did, most of that's not in their memory. And I would like them to have some memory as of me as someone who went after things. Sure. And that's, it's, you know, I, I have to remind myself, this is a child who can't remember what they ate for breakfast, let alone like remember what dad did or what the accomplishment means. And so my thought on that is that like, they've come to some of these races, we have photos of it that I could share with them later. And I have this whole blog that I've been trying to write, turn into a book that if nothing else, it's just going to be something that my kids someday will read about their dad. Uh, and that's the extent of it. Like, otherwise my kids now are like, Oh dad, did you win? You didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> and you know, that's what it is. But mm. there's a, on the flip side, it's like when we went to Alaska, I had all my kids there and they all jumped in the race for the last hundred meters. I'm mm. carrying one of the infants and the two of them, I'm like holding their hands and we're running in the finish together. And there's a great race photo of it. That's and cool. like, it's just some cool memories uh, of that. There was a time we went to, first time we had gone to Hawaii, I went out there and ran that race on the big island. And uh, I forgot to pack like running shorts or something. And so like the night before the race, we go to uh, uh, the expo and they had a pair of like pink women's running shorts. And I was like, I'm going to wear those and just race. And so... I did, and I get to the line, and it's another one of those stories where, like, a local, like, a famous dude is lining up next to me. And it's uh, the guy from uh, the book Born to Run. It was uh, Billy the Kid in the book, and he was one of the ultra runners. They called him El Blanco or the, the white guy. And throughout the book, he's this guy with his girlfriend running with the tribe, and he's now, like, this ultra great ultra runner he lives in hilo hawaii so that's where this race is okay. and he's at the start line and i didn't realize who he was but again he takes off another six minute mile i'm like i can't hold this in this humidity and so after eight miles like he just takes off and i lose it and another one is small enough that i thought i was gonna win so my wife is like oh it's okay you'll still get second or third place mike just keep it up and then around mile 23 i see him starting to fade and i was like oh my god i'm gonna catch this guy and I give it everything and I get to him at like mile 25 and a half. I have nothing left. And I'm like, I know who this guy is now. Cause I hear everyone cheering for him. Of course, there's no way he's not going to outkick me. I get there and I look at him and we exchange some words and he's like, go get it, man. Great race. And I took it and I won and the whole race couldn't believe it. And this is the first marathon I had won. And my wife is there at the finish line and she's crying and she's with our third child, like seven months pregnant. And so there's a great photo of us during like an interview. And the next morning we're on the front page of the paper and that's what this photo is. And so we have a bunch of these newspapers and it's, you know, my youngest child, Mac. (laughs) And so this is like one of these stories. I can't wait to give him the newspaper and be like, you were at the first race I ran because we didn't bring the other kids. We only brought him. 
and so that's just one of those other kid stories that I hope someday they'll realize like, all right, you know, we were part of this or this is what dad did. Uh, and so, yeah, it was everything on, at that race just kind of came together and it's a great little family story that someday I'll share with them. That's good. And you've been wearing those pink shorts ever since. <laughs> I still, I'm not even kidding. I do. So <laughs> I, when that happened, I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. I went to the running store cause they, I got some prize for winning and I went and spent all the money at the running store and I bought another pair of those shorts and then I came home and the run club was so excited and I was like, I'm going to, all of our, our swag this year is going to be pink and we're all going to buy pink shorts. And we had a, uh, a hashtag that we were using called pretty fast in pink. And so the whole thing was about this run club now that like just doesn't care what they're wearing and we're wearing like pink everything and we were just out having fun and doing whatever we did. Uh, and so, yeah, I made it a whole thing and it was, it was fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The first my my young my oldest was only about three or four at one of the best performances I ever had. Kirk, this was in Montana for that NBC race, and NBC used to cover our, our races. <clears throat> yep. And I came through in second position, and there's this great shot at my pregnant wife, our sleeping little baby. And then my little son there waiting for me at the finish oh. line. And we come in and they have the cameras there ready to use this for the show. It was a post-op. It wasn't a live. So they have it all ready. And we come in yeah. and he won't hug me because I got beat. And he's crying there <laughs> because I got beat. And uh, and they were giving announcements like Crocker in fourth, Crocker in third, Crocker in second. And my wife's getting all excited. And uh, he never heard first. And he came through and he said, did you win? I said, no. And he just kind of like turned away from me and pouted. And they couldn't use any of the footage. They had set this up and... I had had some interviews prior to the race, and so they thought there was going to be this holistic moment, and and he ruined it. And oh. so he, he deprived us of that that footage moment after the race because he was so disappointed in his dad. Yeah, I mean, you either win or you don't, Dad. And that, yeah. I mean, that's what kids know. That's what they think. <laughs> that's funny. It's okay now, Mike, because his kid is the breadwinner in the family athletically, oh, so he's making up for that's it. Good. That's, yep. that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He won no, his I'm gonna keep reminding you of that, race carding league this year. Oh, nice! And got like 300 bucks. And uh, that's awesome. And he so he has out earned me Red this winner, year like as I an said. athlete. That's and Kirk, awesome. Kirk is never gonna let this die. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, you have till the end of the year, Bracken. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I think you passed the torch now, man. That's that's a good accomplishment. Yeah, I'm the old nope. model now. No, he is not. He's gonna he's gonna make that money this weekend. That's what he's gonna yes. do. Um, no pressure. Uh, I'm going to, I want to, we want to ask about, I want to ask about nuances along the way of all these 50 marathons and such. Like, how do you stay healthy? The training in between all that, but I just want to jump ahead. We're not following traditional suits here with this. Um, you know, start at your birth and take us to today. We're not doing that with you. Um, what the heck do you do after you cross your 50th finish line? I don't even know how lost I would imagine feeling without a multi-year pursuit who becomes your identity and you cross that final finish line and you go, now what? What (laughs) was that like? Because I can't imagine. Uh, You know, (laughs) that one took me a while to wrap my head around uh, because I didn't see the day coming. I just didn't think about it. Like this had been my running goal ever since running became important to me. Uh, and so that, 
I had mentioned Alaska. That was the 50th state. And so that was a huge accomplishment. We had a big party with everyone there. Uh, but then I had five more states that I had to revisit to get the sub three part of it. And so I had some friends come along for some of that. And it's getting, you know, 46, 47, 48, 49. There were about 40 of us that Did went you miss any of those five oh, yeah. again? Um, like when, when you completed Alaska. Yes. Did you go five for five or did you have so, to start over again? Well, when I completed Alaska, I did go five for five. Okay. But right before Alaska, about a month before Alaska, I went to do Vermont again. Uh, the first time I had done it was I had mentioned was when I met uh, this Chuck Engel guy. I also, when I ran that course, a police officer sent us the wrong way up a hill. So I added a mile and a half to that course. And so I, I missed the mark on that one. So I had to redo it. I did it. I went to Vermont City to do uh, the marathon a month before Alaska. And a storm had rolled in right before the race, postponed the race. And it just was 90 and muggy. And so I just couldn't do it. So that was like a 306. Hmm. And so after Alaska, I had to go back to Vermont for a third time. (laughs) And... I also had to go back to South Dakota for a third time. Those are the only two states I had to do three times. And there were just, you know, variables out of my control that kept sending me back to them. But those are beautiful states, and I was happy to go back. It's really cool to, like, see some of the cool stuff that you just wouldn't see. Like, South Dakota has become one of my favorite states just because there's so much in that Black Hills area that I mm-hmm. just discovered through running. So anyway. Uh, so I derailed Alaska. You. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting excited about some of these states. So after Alaska, I realized, like, all right, I got it. This is serious. I got to get these five done. I had those two hanging over my head, knowing that I missed them twice already. So then I started realizing, like, I'm getting older. I have to work harder at this. I'm going to take up cycling. And I had a friend, uh, Lori, who was big into cycling. Hold on. Can I slow you down, though? Yeah. I would like to stop you. Yeah. We still haven't talked about your feelings here, Mike. Let's talk about your feelings. (laughs) In regards to stopping, I really need to know if I, I put myself there. in. I don't mean to. Oh, maybe I'm rubbing. Right, right. Well, are we, well, maybe rubbing salt in a non-existent wound. Maybe that's what I'm doing. I, but for me, I would wake up that first morning and be like, "What am I doing with my life?" And I would probably right. go through a really big low period. That's what I'm, I'm at. Like, did you not go through that? Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is the long setup, so you can edit this a lot of this out. But I'm. I'm setting this up because what oh, we don't edit anything was as I <laughs> all right good you're gonna get the whole setup here so post Alaska I realized I needed to make some life change I start cycling to get stronger because some of these final races were mountain or hilly races they were in harder states one of them being New Mexico that ended up being my very last one and it was the same race that I had to do again it was the Sandia Crest uh, marathon so it's just outside of Albuquerque and it's down their mountain. Mm. And it's all road, but the problem is it's kind of in summer, so you have that summer desert heat that I'm not used to, and you're running down this mountain pretty aggressively from about 10,000 feet, and the city of Albuquerque is 5,500 feet maybe, but most of that drop is in the first half. So you're flying down this road, blowing up your quads, and then it gets hot, and you're dry, and you need more water than ever. And you're trying to suffer through that second half of this race. So that's my final race, right? I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking, all right, comfortably I can pull in a 255, 256. Uh, I get to mile 18 or 20 and I'm like, oh my God, 
I got to take a shit. I've never had to take a shit in a marathon ever. Really? I've never had a never. And I, you're at like 58 wow. at this point. That might be 59? the most impressive yeah. thing about you. Yeah, that might be the honestly, most impressive like, thing you, you've ever done. Yeah, I, I I feel the same, right? So I get to this point, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to finish this race. I got to use that bathroom, and I got to make it quick, and I'm dying here. So I go into the bathroom. I'm looking at my watch. I was like, all right, I got two minutes to do this, and I got to get out, and I got to keep going. And I do it, and I shut off my watch by mistake. And I'm like, oh, shit, now I don't have a tracker. I don't know what's going on. And so I get out of that bathroom. I'm worried. My friend, Bill, and my wife, Melissa, are there. And they're kind of following along in a car. And they're like, all right, man, you can do this. And then I start just F-bombing everything. It's hot. I'm like, I'm not going to finish this. I don't have a clock. And so I come in. My buddy Bill is like encouraging me along. He's like, all right, you can do this. Just get through this turn. I get through the turn. I can't see the clock. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I think I'm running a 301, but I'm going all out here. This, this is my last chance. I got to do this. And I cross the finish line and the clock is out. So I can't even see what the time was. And the second I cross the clock, the, the line, I'm like, what time was that? What time was that? And Bill runs over to get the official time. And he comes running over to me and he's like, holy shit. That was a 259.12. You did it. And I lost it. And he and I just like all out bear hug. I'm, I don't even know where I'm at. I'm flipping out. Like, I can't believe I did that. I thought I was going to miss that mark. And so it takes a while for that to settle. And as it settles, we're like at a brewery and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this whole thing is done. Since Alaska, I had made so many changes to ensure that I got this done. Those changes being I quit drinking. My whole goal throughout a lot of this, uh, these state visits was to see all the breweries I could. <laughs> I must have gone to three or 400 breweries. Mm. And then suddenly I just quit drinking, cold turkey, nothing. So for like a year and a half, I hadn't drank. I'm sitting at a brewery with my friends who are drinking. I also gave up uh, meat. I became a vegan because I thought I, – I watched some documentary that was total bullshit called James, Game Changers. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, there's mm -hmm. no way I could become a better athlete by giving this up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. <laughs> and so I mostly did it to call the bluff. And it was actually harder – to, to continue this goal as a vegan it took me a couple of years to settle in and now i feel like i'm in the same shape i was but you know i'm four years a vegan now and it took a while to figure that out so i'm sitting at this brewery after i completed this huge goal I, i'm a vegan now i don't drink meat i don't drink alcohol and i'm thinking like what what am i gonna do am i supposed to keep doing that <laughs> Dude, what's my next goal? <laughs> like, I only did that because of this goal. And uh, mm. and now I'm just like, all right, well, maybe the goal now is just a different me. And I continue doing big, crazy events, different running events under a new style. Like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe let's see if I can get through. So I sign up for Leadville thinking like, what's the biggest, dumbest hundred mile run I can do? And I, that's not my style of running at all. Let's try it. And I'm going to try it without, you know, the full nutrition plan that I would probably be helpful. I'm going to try to get through this race and their aid station and also be like, oh, I can't have that. It's made with milk. Like, let's try something stupid and hard and make it harder. And mm. so I just thought like, all right, let's see where this goes. Uh, and so it's, I, I think now the goal is just to explore new things and just not care about mm -hmm. times or... A comp, like 
big goals. I just want to get it done and see if my body can do it. And so, you know, throughout that, I, be, I mentioned I became a cyclist and that just kind of snowballed into like, all right, now I'm going to be a hardcore road cyclist. Mm. And that, I loved it. So this woman, Lori, and I got into road biking and then that turned into racing uh, road, they call them uh, criteriums. These mm -hmm. like, they'll travel to certain towns. Wisconsin's got a great series of them. Chicago has a great mm -hmm. series. They'll go to these towns every day for 10 days in a row, race like a two mile track, just as fast as you can for a half an hour to an hour. I did a couple of those mm -hmm. and I thought, this is awesome. Did you race in Shorewood or in Whitefish Bay there? No, I in didn't. I only did Milwaukee. Illinois. I only did mm. the Illinois, okay. Illinois once. I know? went to a, that a couple times, and it was it was very enjoyable to watch. As even a non-cyclist, I went and watched yeah. the speed and the intensity, and the, it was great. Absolutely. And that, I did the same no. before I was a cyclist. I watched one, and I thought, wow, this is intense. And so I just jumped right into mm. that. I had a road bike for a month, and I was like, I'm going to do one. That's, I did one. There's a lot of bike handling needed for the crit-style racing. Oh, absolutely. Mm. But I think my advantage – or. I had an advantage in that I had the, the engine being an endurance runner, but I also was a motorcyclist for mm. 20 years. So I understood what it meant to be like riding groups and to handle and always be sharp and to take turns. And so that part of it just seemed natural okay. to me. Uh, and so that was helpful in ra racing crits because it just gets wild. Like you never know what yeah. someone's going to do and someone's going to crash. And uh, so th I've, I've taken to that. So after Leadville, I'll go back to do some more of that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, just kind of dipping my feet in things. I signed up for an Ironman just to see what it was all about. Uh, we'll see. Everyone knows about that idea of like the post-marathon depression or they know yeah. about like if you do a big goal, the only thing that moves the needle after that is a bigger goal. But what's not yeah. it's talked about as much as long goals, the process becomes every bit as addictive as right. chasing the adrenaline of the goal itself. And sure. when you get to the end of a 50 and 50 or sub three and 50 or any of the things people can do, they come to realize that they don't know what to do without the daily process towards the next thing. It wasn't the thing anymore. It was the daily grind. Did you have oh, that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, running has always just been a pursuit in pursuit of happiness. That's it. Like okay. I ran because it was fun. I enjoy running and I will continue to enjoy running. And now without that goal, I think I enjoy it even more because now I can be like, I don't really care what my pace is today. I'm just going to go out and run happy. And that's been awesome. And then, I mean, that lends itself to ultra running because most of these ultra runners kind of mm -hmm. step out of that speed workout and tempos and that grind that you I was going through for all the 50 marathons. Now it's a, a whole different perspective mm -hmm. but i'm treating it like a marathoner i still do the the workouts but i'm not as like intense about them because to me it's like i'm gonna get through these hundred I'll, I'll get through leadville i don't need to win it i'm not gonna win it i just want to survive it so mm -hmm. i'll do enough workouts to get me there and so i think that's what now that the goal is done it's uh, my perspective and my long-term uh, goal with running is just that like i'm just gonna still enjoy it i got yeah. out of this without injuries i'm gonna keep running like that so yeah i don't i don't need well, how, another bigger goal other than leadville 100 and an iron yeah. man and road racing <laughs> well, bikes yeah yeah that, that comes and goes <laughs> within a year right <laughs> right uh so yeah the little little goals <laughs> but not long how long after steps. finishing 
in New Mexico, did you already have your next event booked? You finally got uh, I bet you it was within weeks. I just you just seem like the type. Ten days later. Uh, figured as much. Ten days later. <laughs> Didn't take I, long. I figured that as long as I can finish New Mexico, ten days later was the time the only time that Boston Marathon was running run in the fall, right? To make up for all the COVID lag. And so I had signed up for that fall mm. race expecting it to be my victory lap because my very first sub three marathon was 2009 Boston. So my goal was, you know, mm. 10 days later, I'm going to get to Boston. I'm just going to enjoy it and just kind of take a victory lap. So I, I got there. I ran that race roadside. I stopped and jumped on some trampolines. Like I was just goofing around. And then halfway through, I was like, Oh man, I'm on the sub three mark. Aren't I? <laughs> So I made it a sub three. It's just what I do. It's like inherent now. Like that clock, I can, I mean, I don't have to look at the miles. I can tell you how fast I'm running and what I need to do. Mm. And it, I just felt natural. So I did it again. A slight side conversation quick, because you brought up Iron Man. You reminded Brack. And I, I just saw a post today about the gentleman. I'm sure some of you know. What's his name? Sean Conway. I'm looking at it who's doing 102 Ironman distance triathlons 102 days in a row. It's and he's already, he's already on day 94, and he's gone 94 for 94. Yeah. I believe a lot of the swimming's done in the pool. They show his Strava, and you probably can't see, but it's just a straight line of like absolutely yeah. insane multi-hundred-mile weeks on all accounts, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around. Talk about a come down after 102 days. Like, this guy is in for something. I don't know what it is, but he better get a therapist on the line because I would need one after that. Waking up on day 103 and being like, what do I do with myself? I would would be lost. I mean, in some respects, that uh, marathoning, running, training, whatever you're doing, it is our therapy. And so I think someone like this is... It's a good point. Right? Like, he is treating himself by doing this i was doing it i'm going to continue to do it just mm-hmm. whether or not there's a goal so someone like that isn't going to just stop and if i'm not mistaken this guy has attempted this a couple times before like he did 50 of them in a row he was going for the 100 before and something happened he hurt his leg or something so this guy's been at this for a while and he'll continue to do it uh mm-hmm. and it's just impressive. this isn't the iron cowboy is it is oh, the iron cowboy a different guy you remember that guy Yes, that's the one I'm thinking of. The Iron Cowboy, and then he had to do some of his marathons on the elliptical to finish, yes, and then people and were people like, well, that doesn't it. count, and then it was yes. and then, and then it was a whole, it's like, these guys are pretty sweet. Ended up not keeping track of their financials, and there was, there was, yep. there was gray area involved. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a different guy, is what I'm, I think it is. Guy. Okay, and yeah. which is, like, I guess, to my point earlier, like, there's always somebody that's going to be doing something bigger and stronger and better, and it's just cool to see, like, you know, the Iron Cowboy did 50 in a row or whatever it was. And now you got this guy about to bang out 102. And next week, there's going to be someone doing 150 of them. But those people, and to, to some respect, ourselves, consistency is that the key, right? Like, whatever it was that we did to get these long-term goals, we're doing it every day. We're, like, I've been doing 70-mile weeks for 10 years or something, right? Like, it that made the goal manageable. Uh, same with who this guy who's doing these Ironmans every day. It's not like it's his first rodeo. Uh, right. It, 
right? So it's he's impressive. doing 175 mile weeks every week. In case you're wondering, yeah, about 175 right? miles a yeah. week on top of about 700, 800 miles of biking a week on top of yeah. 15 miles of swimming. I'm just gonna say <laughs> it. Imagine? That's dumb. Yeah. It is dumb, but <laughs> it's ridiculous. To this guy, it's we're talking about him. Life. Yeah, we're I don't disagree with it. Yeah. I tell people I all the time, it. my job isn't to judge your goal because I probably think it's dumb. It's let's still get it done anyway in the smartest way possible. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. Like yeah. what he's doing is dumb, but it's he's getting it I, done in a certain way. And I respect that. Whatever that goal is, it's awesome that you found it and you're going for it. And the guy's going to do it. It's not He's not going to get paid for it. He's just doing it for the love of it. I mean, that's what 50 State Sub 3 was, just for the love of it. You learn something about yourself and the country. It, that's cool. You hear about the negative effects of a lot of these big pursuits. You alienate people along the way or you become hyper-focused or yeah. isolated in your task. And there's a lot of people who will decry that. And they're not wrong. But there's also hundreds of millions of people out there who are isolated in their narcissism or their pursuit of money or their, their, you know, like your drinking or your drug use or your gambling or your pouring yourself into work. Like there, we're all going to find our outlet for our faults, no matter what. Sure. Physicality isn't going to be the worst of the evils. No, it's not a get out of jail free card, but it's also as good or better than losing yourself in work or in the internet. I mean, yeah, it's, Whatever your passion is, if you're losing yourself in your passion, that's awesome. If that's work, cool. If mm-hmm. it's being physical, like I assume all three of us are pretty passionate about that. If that's one of the greatest things about yeah. living this life. Is we're lost in that passion. Whether that means I'm making money doing it or not, I, I'm happy doing it. Yeah, how many people are lost in Wordle for hours at a time? Exactly. You know, right? Whatever it's... keeps you happy, yeah. Just so happens we like to be active. And that's... Yeah. It makes us happy. That's so how many cool. marathons did you average per year? Was it consistent or did it ebb and flow? It, it would ebb and flow a little because at the start, I wasn't sure how to tackle it. I was so new at this. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. what my body can do. So in the start, it was like three to four a year for a couple of years. Then I had a couple to about three years in a row that I was doing about 10 a year. Uh, but on average, I would say it was six a year. Uh, and that was always manageable because the, the cycle would be, you know, run the race, recover a little bit, but stay in that bulk of mileage. So I never went down to zero mileage and restarted a training cycle. A lot of guys that, you know, the other runner that is going for the PR in the marathon world, they'll pick two races a year. They'll go through a whole six-month cycle where they build up, they go strong, and then they take that full recovery and build up again. That was, I never had to do it. Like, my recovery was always good. I never worked too hard so that it would hurt and break something. And so I was just kind of always riding a little bit of a wave every two months. Uh, and that, I found that to work well for me. Uh, and now that it's over, I, I just maintain the mileage so that I can always jump into one. So the mm-hmm. last couple of years, I've jumped into five or six of them just because I felt like a, a good long run. <laughs> or just a reminder of like right. what it was I enjoyed. So what did you prioritize? Fun. Obviously, you prioritize longevity. You wanted sustainability. But in terms of like yeah. fitness, quality sessions, what did you prioritize as the thing I need to stay in touch with other than volume so that I can do these things? Um, that's good because I, I, what I learned through doing the first half of this endeavor, 
and then applied like when I started this run club, I would coach, you know, track workouts, I would do the long runs and coach other things that I thought were important and create training plans for people. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things I found was the tempo run. Uh, I, whether I did it completely on its own with a little bit of a buildup, 40 minutes tempo, cool down, or I would put it in a long run in the middle or a fast finish long run. That became more and more important as I got older. That helped maintain my fitness levels. It helped complete that race when I'd get to mile 20 and be like, all right, look, my tire, my legs are tired, but I've got the kick to keep this going. And so I think that was probably the most important workout. And it's one I still like to do. Like you just mm-hmm. feel young and alive and you remind yourself like, still got it. That makes Track sense. workouts. Which workout is that specifically? <laughs> more of just the tempo uh, running at uh, hmm. maybe 10K pace, right, for the up to 40 minutes, give or take, something like that, or even just marathon pace, like marathon goal pace. So for me, you know, dropping a 6.30 to 6.40, just to remind myself I had that sub three for X amount of miles, that was helpful mm-hmm. psychologically and physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, as much as I coached track workouts, I, I didn't like to do them because it, it, it was too high risk for little reward for what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I would do them, but it was, mm. you know, it wasn't my A, uh, it wasn't the thing I would say really helped with the, this goal. The faster it is, the more you have to get it right. Yes. Yeah, precision. Was Both key. ends of the spectrum, before, during, oh, yeah. after, all of it. Absolutely. And that's, you know, when you're younger, you know, 20s, 30s, recovery wasn't something I did. The slower paced recovery, no, every run was, you know, X pace. And I just kind of did that. And sometimes it would have a tempo and speed workout. Sometimes it wouldn't, but it'd always be close to the same pace. The older I got, the more I realized, like, that actually, (laughs) you should do that. (laughs) So you learn. How old are you? I don't know how old you are, Mike. No, that's coming Uh, up. 44. Oldest guy in the room. That's right. That's what you All are. right. Well, let me uh-huh. All this with guy you all. in the room. <laughs> Kirk just turned 40. He's making a big deal Learned. about age now. All right. Well, yeah, we're all in our 40s now, right? Yeah. Not me. I'm, no. I'm, I'm a on young my, buck. I'm on my master's rock. You guys kept your hair. 36, right, back in 36. Ooh, 36. Enjoy those fast years, man. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Everyone told me, like, man, once you hit 40, Everything changes, your body changes, you slow down, you do this and that and everything else. Uh, I think I've gotten faster, uh, more uh, efficient at this. But you also, I think, you built on what you learn. And as long as you're consistent, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know where the where the top is, but I feel like I'm still climbing. It, it only notably changes if you get injured or you give it up. You're not going right. to see this cliff that everybody talks about in your 40s if you can stay healthy and you keep putting your shoes on. It doesn't work oh, that yeah. way. At least, I mean, in my, in my, in my very new 40-year-old wisdom, that's uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> hey, <laughs> throw it out with learned, the bathwater, but that's what I you've think. Le- you've learned as much already as I've learned in the four years I've been here. Uh, it's true. Just consistent. I, Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and it's, yeah, the fame. Don't be a hero. Just keep showing up. Yeah. I mean, maybe I have a different perspective because I'm not that post-collegiate guy that had a burnout period. And my whole trajectory of running has just been kind of steadily growing higher and higher. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't think I've peaked yet, but, but well, that's it. I've never pushed that hard. There's also no such thing as just like a standard rule no. in nature. Like, 
some <laughs> puberty, for example. I hit it like four years later than all my friends. Yeah. What What are the odds I'm also going to hit the decline <laughs> the same year? Some women stop exactly. being able to give birth at 35. Some it's 45s. You know, I lost my hair at 23. My dad still has more hair than me. He's 67. <laughs> like nothing <laughs> abides by the same rule. So why would no. we expect that we all turn 40 and fall off a cliff? Yeah, someone exactly. did. But sure. There may also be other factors in their life. So yeah, there, I'm sure there's a bunch of 49 year olds like Kirk. You don't get it, and it's true. You don't. But you also don't have to abide by the mm-hmm. same rules as 100%. them because you're not living in the same body. Absolutely. Uh, and nothing has been more evident to me about aging like a fine wine than becoming a road cyclist. These guys in their 50s are killing it. Mm-hmm. Like, how in the hell are so many of these guys 10 years older than me and just crushing it on that bike? But it's, I mean, all they've been at it for years. And I think it's just, if you keep at it, you'll keep getting better. Yeah. So it's encouraging. And so I look up to, you know, and it's an, another 10 years of now I'll do more biking and see what that does. It's certainly helped with yeah. the running. You take some impact out of the equation. That's a new lease on life. Oh, man, that that part's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, every time every time I ride with a group, I'm thinking like, wow, this is recovery for me. This is amazing. <laughs> I don't free that free fitness. No, <laughs> yeah. no damage, all fitness. It's, oh, it really feels amazing. like that sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's like uphill I, running. That's how I feel after like 15, 30% work. I'm like, this is yeah. free. Like I took oh. no damage. It was difficult, but it felt free. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Free, uh, free is a funny word, but, but I get what you're saying. Relatively <laughs> free. free from damage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right from it's the damage. most painful freedom you'll ever get. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> really is. Uh, just to fill the cracks in your training throughout through these years, um, what were there like? I, I'm assuming you were sort of self guided with maybe influence from others. It sounds like you were self coached in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, could you just talk about maybe a few of the challenges you faced along the way, just making training decisions? You know, the learning curve did have to be steep, I think, with frequent exposure. Like, are there anything that jumps out at you, like lessons learned or challenges along the way? If you could go back, you'd do it differently or some things that really worked for you, racing so long so often. Anything jump out at you? Uh, yeah, you know, because I didn't know much about marathoning at all, I basically tried every training plan out there from Jack Daniels to Hal Higdon, whatever it was, I would do a cycle and do that training plan and see what, what my body, how my body reacted to it. And when, after I got through about six of these different plans and applied it to a couple of races, I developed my own training plan that I used for myself, but then I also kind of pared it down and used it for the run club because it was kind of like, a lot of this got so technical in these training plans, and I just thought it was unnecessary. I thought ultimately what you need for the marathon is a good long run, some kind of a tempo speed workout, some hill workouts. And then you fill it with recovery and, and progressions here and there. But ultimately, like I had mentioned earlier, that tempo run, that marathon paced run, something like that was key. Uh, and so I think as I got through this, went through a lot of these training plans, I just realized like, you can make this pretty simple, but the takeaway is volume. Like to be a good marathoner, you gotta, once I hit, you know, I was able to do the first 20 some on 30 miles a week. And then my body was like, no, you need to work harder. So once I was in that 70 mile plus range a week, it just 
clicked. It brings you to another level. Uh, and things just became easier. My body worked better at that distance and I can go longer. So I think like if you want to can uh, doing one marathon is great. You can try out a plan. You can do the 40 to 50 mile a week. But I think if you have a bigger goal like this, you're going to find that like a sweet spot in your weekly mileage, 70 to 90 was my sweet spot. When I was hitting hundred mile weeks, yeah, I was pushing it because I wasn't going for a PR in hindsight. There, I wish I might have tried to do a PR because I'm sure I got a sub 240 in me. And to this day, I still think like, I'll try, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that I, the risk is worth it at this point. So I, I guess it depends what your approach is. But if you're looking to do volume and stay happy and healthy, find that sweet spot of weekly mileage, finding that and putting in some like quality workouts a week, but just enough not overdoing it, not getting crazy about the technical aspects of it. That was kept me happy and healthy. Kirk, we've said this quote before, but I'm going to read it again now. You just got me thinking of it. It's time to refresh all the listeners' minds. Ryan Kent, mm-hmm. who's a stud of a gentleman, said, volume allows wiggle room for when a race goes bad. And I think that it applies to a pursuit as well. The overall volume allows you to have some flexibility when disruptions happen, whether it's in a workout, in a race, in recovery. It just, you recover better. You can keep the ball rolling better. You can absorb things when your volume's up a bit, but it requires being in the sweet spot of volume. There's a, there's a limiter on it. When you get to too high, you, you don't get those benefits anymore. Absolutely. And I, everybody's body's different. And I think just through trial and error, I found my sweet spot and I think others can too. Mm-hmm. It just depends what you're shooting for. And those sweet spots, when you say they change, I believe with the seasons of life. Oh yeah, sure. And as you age, like mm-hmm. I, I, I've noticed it change a little bit. I mean, my volume just got higher as I age, but my intensities were a little bit less. So you make adjustments. When you say that, um, 30 miles a week, wasn't cutting it. Like you felt like you needed to do more. I'm going to make an assumption and say that, uh, the marathons, although they may have gone well, were just so damaging. So the recovery was worse afterwards, or what was the reason? What was the indicator that 30 miles a week wasn't enough? It wasn't so much that because I, for whatever reason, I've always been good at recovering like a marathon would, and you know, the first one put me out for a while, but the more, I got into it. I was a, just a consistent runner, it, albeit 30 miles a week, but it was, you know, I would try to stay consistent with that. So my recoveries were always great. I didn't have so much lingering issues with it. Uh, so I think as I aged and this goal started to like sink into me, like psychologically, I thought, all right, now I'm in getting in on 30 of these. This is getting serious. Not only in that I still have 20 more to go and I'm getting older and that now the planning part really comes into play. Like, you know, some of these races are only have a three month window. Some of these you got to avoid in summer. Some states only have two of these races. So it became apparent that like 30 miles a week, I was just having fun. I'd show up at a marathon and it worked. Then when the planning part became more of an issue, I thought I'm going to make sure that I do it right. I'm going to make sure that I go into this and I'm ready for whatever these whatever variables get thrown at me. Because now I had a taste of all the variables that happen in a marathon and I was ready for it. So if I got thrown that 90 degree humid day, which I've had enough of those, my body was ready for it. If I got thrown into a 20 to 30 mile an hour headwind and it's 20 degrees and I can't feel my fingers, 
I knew how to tough it out. Uh, and so I was able to kind of maintain consistency with higher mileage through all of the variables. That backs up Brian Kent's quote, doesn't it, Bracken? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that, that's true, cushion. right? Yeah, absolutely. Insurance policy that. on absolutely. a bad day. Yeah. And, and not even just on the race day, but through the training. Like, all right, something happened this week. I've got to skip a day or two. But it mm-hmm. wasn't so debilitating because you're still doing 70 mile weeks. You'll make it up. Your body yeah. will adapt and recover and be ready for the next one. We've talked about it on here before, but there were many times throughout life, even in college, I was part of a, a low volume training group, high intensity. And I raced very well off it until there was one variable I couldn't control. If I got out too hard, I didn't recover in the middle of a race by backing off a little bit. If I was a little fatigued coming in, if I had to race back to back days, if I had to bump up in distance, I could handle, I had like a, a, a small window that I could hit and I could hit it as well as anything. But if I was outside that narrow confines of that window, I couldn't adapt to it as well. I couldn't absorb mid-race surges. I had to execute perfectly. Yeah. uh, And something like that is uh, so much more narrow of uh, of a focus, right? So like you say, like so much more can go wrong if you're not within that window. Right. I had a little more to play with in a marathon distance, but still, it's the same idea. Like, get ready for whatever variable. And I'd done some longer racing off low volume and I had some success, but when it went wrong, it went wrong. There was nothing yeah. underlying to boost me up. Oh yeah. It's not like, well, I yeah. can just turn it into a quality long run now. Like I, right. I would not do in quality long runs. That, that That's options not there. I can nail the race if it's right, but no oh, wiggle yeah. room. Yeah, no, I, I've discovered and actually enjoyed the variables and playing with the wiggle room mm. right down to like the pre-race meal. Or sleeping in my car the night before a race. The two uh, pounds of meat and growler, yeah. that would be playing oh with the formula. Yeah, that <laughs> one. Uh, or middle of nowhere, Arkansas, like, I need breakfast and nothing's open. Uh, so I'll go to this gas station, eat a gas station sandwich. I don't know what it is. Let's see what happens. And I won the race. <laughs> like, you just don't know. And that was fun to learn. And, like, mm-hmm. new pair of shorts on race day. Everything new on race day. I would do it just as an experiment to see like, all right, my running's there. Let's throw these other variables at it and see what happens. Uh, and then, you know, you can, you adapt to that. And eventually like you can just pull it off. What was your worst race conditions? What were some of the worst things you hit throughout this time? Uh, one of the worst ones uh, was in Mississippi. It's the South, right? Just in general. Yeah. Yeah. It was unseasonably cold in February there. And it was about 20 degrees, and I just don't do well in cold. Like, my hand, yeah. I can't feel my hands. I'm wearing gloves in 55-degree weather. Like, I just don't have good circulation in my hands. And so I'm freezing. At the start line, there's a fire pit. So I'm trying to stay warm by the fire pit. And this is the 20 to 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. It's a point A to point B, and the whole way we're into the wind gust. And so there's, you know, three, 400 people in this race, and two of us go out in front, and we have this uh, this unspoken agreement that we will take turns uh, breaking that headwind every half a mile. And we did this for 20 miles. Half a mile, I would go in front of him. Half a mile, he would go in front of me. And it was brutal, but it was beautiful because, like, we both understood mm. <laughs> the assignment. <laughs> so that helped get us through. On the flip side, heat and humidity, I actually enjoy, 
but it still takes a toll on your body. So I've had several of those. One in Ohio was really bad. Uh, I still made the mark, but the photos from that race are just, my sunburn two hours in was already evident. I'm sweating bullets. I had some woman alongside the course taking uh, sympathy and like running to a gas station and grabbing me water. Uh, the Hawaii one was brutal because, man, Hawaii humidity is just something to run in. So there's some some tough ones that you just kind of you figure it out, but those were up there for me. Okay. Uh, and then uh, uh, not along the sub three-hour mark, but I did Pikes Peak Marathon out in Colorado. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm. That's a whole other animal. That is a level of difficulty that I was not aware of. Uh, so I, I did that years ago. Then I went back last year to do the double uh, just because I was curious. Uh, and it's still as awesome. The as double gnarly. as in ascent day one and then up down day two? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it, it was, it's cool. It's difficult. Uh, and uh, it, I... I can't even express like how hard that is to wake up the next day from the ascent and be like, I could do that again and come back down it. And it's 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but those you know, at home, a... Pike's Peak half or the ascent, it's 13 and change up the bar trail with, I don't know, what is it? 4,000 feet. No, it's more than that. 7,000 yeah, feet of vert. Yeah. Easily. You top out at 14, oh, 82 yeah. or whatever. Something like that. And then the full marathon is you turn around and head back down the trail and you descend another six to 7,000 feet down. And some of the trail's smooth, but you have to pay attention the whole way. So it's That's just a very <laughs> demanding marathon. Yes, and then the, the so double is... and mentally. Yeah. The double is day one, you do the ascent to the top, and then you can take the cog railway or a car down. And then day two, you do the full thing up and down. So it's a, it's a quad trashing weekend. It is. And it's... Part of, I wanted to do the double because after I had done the first one in like 2010, I realized now I qualify to the double. They won't just let you do the double. You have to have done their race before mm -hmm. to know what you're getting into. So I had to do the double and to see where I can place as a flatland. Uh, and so it was 10th overall, and but the first person living at sea level. So okay. I was like, all right, that's cool. I did, I did well. Uh, but also I used that as a training for le this Leadville race coming up. Because the, the Pikes Peak double will get you 15,000 feet of elevation gain within 30 hours. And Leadville, the race itself, has a 30-hour limit, and it's 15,000 feet of elevation. So my thought was, well, if I could do the double, I can do Leadville. Uh, yeah. So there it is. Just now i got to stay up and run all night. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's the hard part. Details. I, I'm embedded in I actually... Today. Um, Pikes or, uh, Leadville's, I have two things I want to talk to you about still, and Leadville's one of them, but I want to end with that. So I want to kick the okay. beehive first before we dive into that. Uh, we don't talk about nutrition very often on this podcast and I'd like to start doing it more. Um, yeah. and you told me you did an experiment with being vegan and then now you're not vegan anymore. And I am still vegan. I'm going to have some people. You are. Okay. Well, hold on. I thought you said you weren't vegan and then you were. So you bet. Wait, have you been vegan the entire time? No, no, no. I became vegan four years ago to like finish those five races that I had to repeat. And when I finished it, I realized like, okay, now I'm vegan. I'm going to keep being vegan. Um, but I, I go ahead with the okay. nutrition question though. Well, what I wanted to ask is you'd made a comment 
about um, being vegan, maybe making it harder on yourself. Yeah. As I believe how I took that, if I took that correctly. Yeah. Why? Uh, that's correct. So when I became vegan, I think largely my body had to adapt to a whole new way of eating. And I had just always been, never gave a thought about what I ate because I ran so I can eat whatever I wanted. I would eat donuts and meat and everything. It never mattered. I would eat whatever was in front of me. And that was the beauty of it is like, I can run this off. It didn't matter. Uh, but then when mm. I realized I had to get these five done, I had coincidentally kind of, uh, I saw that Game Changers documentary and I thought, okay, maybe that can help. But I don't think that's, I don't think that happened because everybody's on some kind of a different diet and everybody's body adapts to whatever they chose and everybody feels like that diet helped them. I don't think being a vegan helps me as a runner at all. Even though Scott Jurek will tell you it's the answer to being the best mm -hmm. ultra runner ever. It's not. Mm -hmm. You will get your nutrition from McDonald's every single day if that's all you eat. My body took a while to adapt to being a vegan because my body wasn't used to that. So for two years, those marathons were harder. I didn't have the endurance because I didn't have like that full uh, cacophony of nutrition and vitamins that I was getting from just eating everything. Now I had to figure it out. Now I had to pay attention. I had to track calories and what I was eating and vitamins. And I tried to supplement to figure out why is this happening? Why are my nails falling off? Like, this is just weird. Why am I even doing this? <laughs> right? It was a huge learning mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And now four years in, I'm 10 pounds lighter, which I lost weight being a vegan. But I don't think I'm any fitter. I eat better, probably healthier. But it, I don't think it made me a faster runner or a more in, uh, better endurance runner. Mm. It's just a different lifestyle change and your body adapts to it. And whatever kind of physical training you're doing will eventually catch up. And that's what I think happened. Why did you stick with it? Because you know, I actually went, what? Oh, Kirk, I can't remember. 13 weeks. My wife wanted to try it. Being and so, yeah. Mm. And so my wife wanted to try it. And out of ease of that, I decided I'll try it too. Easier to sure. cook one meal than two and to support her. And I always carry high inflammation and I thought maybe that'll help with that. And it did. Yeah. Um, but I will, why did you stick with it? If it, I, mean, I had a pretty easy transition. Yeah. I didn't feel particularly bad during, I had to be more intentional about staying full because it was harder to stay sure. full, but I didn't yeah. feel bad. It didn't change anything plus or minus. It just, it was there. But if you felt so bad and your nails are popping off like pogs. Like, why did you stick with it? You know, I'll, I love a challenge. That's basically <laughs> what it is. You're just a masochist? Like, I'm a masochist, yeah. Like, if it's going to I think somebody has to hurt. hate themselves just a little to do the things that Mike yes. has done, don't you? Yeah. There's got to be a little of that in do. there. <laughs> yeah. But the body is remarkable, and I like to see what it can do. Like, push it to an extreme and watch it adapt. And so that's what it was, like trial and error. I learned a lot about being vegan. I learned, like, it's not who I am, and I don't go around being like, hey, guess what, guys? Oh, watch out, don't touch that animal. Like, that's not why I did it. But now I just enjoy that it forces me not to eat that two boxes of donuts and three boxes of Oreos that are in the cupboard okay. because my kids and my wife, they're, they're not vegan. So they just eat whatever. So all that food's laying around. And I am always eating. 
like it's remarkable what my metabolism can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so by being a vegan, mm. I limited myself to mostly healthier things. And I felt like I was eating better and I feel better about that. I'm never, I never had that feeling of being like bloated. And, yeah. Man, I shouldn't eat two pounds of steak last night like I did before a race. <laughs> so it's so, uh, I, if I don't have one, I can't have 10. Yes. And yeah. so that's why I kept with it. And, you know, like there's all kinds of reasons to be vegan and great. I support whatever belief another vegan has for doing it. But mine was just to like, it's an experiment. And now I feel healthy and I eat better. So great. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm, Yeah. Although Oreos are vegan. So have at it. Oh, they're there. Yeah. 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 No, trust me. I, 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 okay. I'm just, just saying, (laughs) (laughs) um, well, you, 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 you button hooked us a little bit because you said I watched a stupid documentary that was full of bullshit. And I actually agree with you, by the way, on the documentary. Um, it got a lot of momentum at the time and misled a lot of people. Um, and then you said, and I didn't feel very good. So my assumption was you left it, but you stuck it out. And I think we don't need to get into my opinions on veganism um, whatsoever. That's not what this is going to be about. But I think if you're going to be a vegan, much like you found out down the road, you can do it and you can do it well, but you have to make sure you're checking certain boxes and filling in the gaps that you're not yeah. getting from uh, things you're refraining from. And so it sounds like you found the correct rhythm. Like vegans have to be like mathematician calculated in order to feel really well and perform really well on it. And yes. most people think I'll avoid meat and I'll feel better, but you need to be able to fill in the cracks. And so that's what you're outlining. So I didn't expect the conversation to go this way, actually. I didn't expect you to say you were still doing it. But it, it makes me happy to hear that, like, you got a formula figured out for you because I firmly believe as a vegan athlete that you absolutely need to fill the cracks and be, oh, and yeah. be calculated with it, not just willy-nilly. So that's oh, yeah. all I wanted that, to add. That's, I agree. That was my takeaway is that, man, now I have to pay attention. Before, I could just do whatever, and I had the energy, and it worked. Now you you got to actually be a mathematician, yeah. To me, mm-hmm. I, I, the word diet is uh, – I'm just going to say eating plan, just like a training plan. There you go. Your eating plan doesn't matter to me, much like your training plan doesn't matter to me. What matters mm-hmm. to me is that you can't hop from one to the other too often. No, that's true. You can't go from um, Higdon to Daniels to Canova to back to Higdon to I'm going to do uh, just nothing but high volume this year and I'm going to do nothing but low volume next year and I don't feel fast, so now I'm going to go all in on – the five horrible five pace system or multi pace that you can't do just like you can't go vegan to to carnivore to whatever else you want to do it's you have to see them through and there's no linear progression with either one of them and you have to understand that up front yeah and that's you know like i Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier i experimented a little bit with x y and z trading Mm -hmm. training plans and what have you but you're right you need to kind of figure out what works for you and settle on it and see it through it's a long-term thing and your body eventually adapts to what you're giving it there so yeah i agree you're right it's incredible what it'll adapt to but oh yeah Uh, there's mm -hmm. always growing i mean some 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 things just fit people i immediately felt better and stuck with it trying this training style i immediately felt better but sometimes you don't even know until year two. Oh yeah for sure and i mean like the vegan thing for me it took a couple of years uh but you gotta stick mm-hmm. through it mm-hmm. gotta be a masochist <laughs> which seems like you've got that nail <laughs> and stubborn yeah oh yeah stubborn as shit is what i am uh, that's you're you're right there yeah 
Um, let's get to the last thing we want to talk about today then, unless Bracken's got things in the hopper, but that's Leadville coming up. So the trend, the, uh, let's talk about two things here. Let's talk about the challenges living in Illinois, going and competing at Leadville. And I guess the Pikes Peak situation, we've had podcast episodes about training for mountains, not living in the mountains, how to do it, all that. We don't need to get into our theories necessarily, but I'm curious to hear yours and then, uh, what the plan is like, what's, what's, what's the, what's going to happen in Leadville? Tell us. Oh man. Uh, so yeah. So last year I did this, the Pikes Peak double kind of as a, a, see what I can do and see if Leadville is feasible. And so to train for that from sea level, there's not a lot you can do, but what I found important was running in the middle of the day in the heat in the summer. So that kind of heat acclimation translated to some kind of altitude acclimation, uh, and just suffering. Like, you're going to suffer going up that incline for miles. And you're going to suffer at twelve to 14,000 feet with that shortness of air. And so that, you know, running in 90-degree heat at noon kind of would emulate that to some respect. The other one I did a lot of, uh, and I don't ever use the treadmill, but I got a gym membership, and once a week would just go, crank it up to 15%. There you are. Are we still... uh, I can still hear you. We can still hear you. You're sideways and frozen, but uh, we can hear you. Oh, okay. All right. So I'll keep it up. Uh, so the treadmill, once a week, I would go turn it up to 15%, run at, at a, as fast as I can maintain that, and I built that up to 13 and a half miles on the treadmill, just sweating buckets. Ooh, steady. Just going. At 15%? No, at 15%. How long did it take so, you? That was two hours and maybe 40 minutes. Uh, and that was oh. that was the biggest training session I had that was applicable to Pikes Peak. And so with that, I felt like, all right, my I had my climbing legs, the running and the heat. Bracken's doing stuff. math in his head right now, if you can see him. I know you're going, what mile per hour is he running at? I can see it in your eyes, Bracken. You're trying to figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, because I'm doing the same thing. Four point four point something four like miles that. an hour or three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo, what is that? It might have been six, five or six miles an hour. Five miles an hour, maybe. Uh, yeah. No. So it's five miles an hour would be twelve minute miles. I guess that'd be close. Yeah, that's. Uh, I remember toggling between five well, and six. That's fast. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it was work. Uh, and that's what I wanted it to be. I didn't want to just get on the treadmill and walk at a 15% incline. I wanted to run and do it hard, hard for me. And that way, come race day, like it wouldn't have, I knew what I was getting into. And so from that, I figured, all right, so let, let's build a Leadville training plan that's going to be 22 weeks. And I'm going to do as much uh, a, a marathon-specific training as I can. Because what I realized was being in shape with like a higher VO2 max, doing those kind of workouts that made me a faster road marathoner, made me better in the mountains. So if I can maintain some of these speed workouts and then add some hill workouts and just train for Leadville, like I'm going to train for any other sub three hour marathon, keeping, you know, 70 mile or above 70 to 90 mile weeks was my sweet spot. So I'm in that. And then I'm also cycling about 150 to 200 miles a week. And so as long as I can keep that steady, that gave me everything I needed for 
uh, Pikes Peak, and it's going to be what I'm using to get through Leadville. And from it, I feel like I've got the the, the strength. The, mm-hmm. the other issues now, of course, are that elevation. So that whole race is run at about 10,000 feet. And about last month, uh, the group of us friends that are going out to do this race went out there for uh, a running camp. So Leadville, the race itself, hosts a camp for the weekend. And they take you over three days, uh, 60-some miles of the course. So you get exposure to most of this course, and they'll take you on a Friday night, then get you up early Saturday morning to do more, and then Sunday morning to do more of it. And so that experience gave us that perspective of uh, what it's going to be like to be at 10,000 feet, not acclimated, and try to get through a whole day's worth of just running at this. So that was huge. I think the takeaway from that is like, all right, this is possible. Like, we don't have to be afraid on race day. Now we know what to expect. We know what our body does. We know our noses are going to bleed. But when you're moving out there, it's not as bad. It was the sleeping that was worse. That's when your heart is like pumping through your throat. And that's when the crusty, bloody nose is happening. Uh, but when we were moving, it wasn't as bad. So I think that's how I'm going to approach it. And I'm in I'm five weeks away now. So I have one or two more big weeks of volume. And then I'm going to just cut down a taper for about four weeks and just hope for the best. So from the outside, I only see one thing that I'm curious about with a whole plan. And that is, I, I love the idea of the Pikes Peak Double being your litmus test race weekend. But you only got 7,000 feet of descent there. And it was at yeah. the end. You didn't have to climb afterwards. And yes. you're going to need to double the descent. So what are you doing to prepare for the descent out there? So... That's a good question, and for whatever reason, the descent is my strong point. Mm-hmm. I just, if there's a hill, I'm going to bomb it. I love just opening up and flying down the hills. So when we did this Leadville weekend, I just let loose. And every downhill, I put my legs to the test, and I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm sure-footed on those downhill trails. And so that's, because it's a strong point, the only thing I'm doing to make sure that that's going to continue through a hundred miles is cycling. Okay. Like that, that the muscle groups I'm building by going out on these road rides, I, it's been hugely helpful. I've got that strength. I had uh, every intention of doing uh, squats and lunges, and I've done them before in workouts. And this, I just don't have the motivation <laughs> this time around. <laughs> And I'm just going to run and ride a bike and then go out there and put it to the test. Okay. You didn't notice any effect on your uphill running after zipping the downhills? You were still able to access it? No, like I I, I just felt good. Uh, and the recovery was pretty minimal. Like after that week and I came back mm-hmm. and was still in my 70 mile week. Uh, and so, you know, oh. after a day or two, it's ready to go. So I, I just been, I don't know if it's just luck, physicality, like downhill running has just been a strength. And so I haven't thought, you know, I haven't done too much work for it because I know that it's going to be what I can use to get ahead in that race. Okay. Well, that's a good strength to have. It's a good card to have in your deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, that's, so, I'm hoping it plays well. So Mike Burnett's hot tips for Leadville success coming from sea level is run in the heat in the middle of the day, continue some sort of 
resemblance of true marathon training and add one uphill grinder a week where all you're doing is going up. Am I reading your hot tips right? Am I missing that's anything? That's pretty much it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's I've this time around instead of using that uh, uphill grinder on the treadmill, I'm doing more trail hill workouts. So, I am getting some downhill there, I should say. So, I'll mm-hmm. be doing repeats like today I went out to the the sled hill and did it 40 times. And you know, I'll I'll grind up it and just let loose down it. So I'm getting that. Uh, yeah. All right. That's good to know you're running downhill. It's also good to know that, like, uh, I don't think people that live out west understand what it's like to work with a sledding hill and a sledding hill only. <laughs> we talk about it enough on here, so we don't need to get into it. But it always amazes me. I'll be at our local ski hill, Highland Ski Hill, which has 140 to 145 feet of vertical gain, yeah. um, which is about as big as I can get to within an hour of my house. And you go there and you're like, what are you training for? And everybody's like, I'm training for co- the 250 or I'm going down to this and that. And they're just on it and they're just going and they're going up and down, up and down. And then you get to race day and you get a change of scenery constantly. It's like a gift. It's like a it gift. It really is. So I think it's a right. mental sharpening thing to do that more than anything is what I'm getting at. Oh, absolutely. If you can grind that out for two hours, like now put me in beautiful scenery. Oh, it's going to be easy. (laughs) And that's kind of how we felt when we got to Leadville. Like, wow, all of this mundane training pays off when you can look around at like how beautiful this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, that's that's another, I guess, advantage. If you can pull apart uh, some kind of an advantage of having to live at sea level training for a mountain race is that your training is just a little bit more awful. Uh, and then you can go out there and really enjoy what it is. And then night falls. <laughs> and then night falls. And that's, you know, I've, I've mm. done one night run this a couple of months ago, and I have one coming up this week where I'll, I'll start at midnight and run till 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually, like, not as bad as I thought. Like, I, I'm somebody that needs my sleep. I get eight hours every night. I'm in bed at 8 o'clock every night. So that change I thought was going to be hard. But when you're out there in it, once I'm up and moving, like I just love to run. And being yeah. out there at night, like it's just pretty and it's quiet and it's awesome. And so that's just a different style of running that's just new to me. And I'm still like in the honeymoon phase. So I think I'll enjoy it. And, and in Leadville, that's where I pick up my pacer. You're allowed to have a pacer uh, at mile 62 to take you in. Uh, and so I've got a great pacer, and uh, I'm just looking forward to kind of meeting up with her, and it's going to change the perspective of the race, even though it's through the night. Well, I wish you luck out there. Thank you much. I think I've checked the boxes I want to check here. How about you? I have one question. What Ironman yeah. did you sign up for? I signed up for Arizona in November. Okay. My thought was I would take all of this Leadville training and just kind of roll it into that and hope my swim, uh, hmm. I hope I can stay afloat. <laughs> Are you swimming? <laughs> uh, I start. You know, I, I gave it a good college try last fall. I'm not a swimmer at all, so okay. my first time in the pool really was last fall, and then I gave it up for the winter. And I have a lake across the streets that I keep thinking, all right, one day I'll go over there. <laughs> one day. Well, you can so, bike and you can run. I'll give it a try, but my bike and run should be strong. So there you go. I'd almost, I'd almost rather be a little week at the swim and then get to play Pac-Man afterwards because your swim is so bad 
that you have a lot of people to catch afterwards. I'd prefer it that way than only being a good swimmer and then just getting caught the rest of the race. That would be tough. That is going to be my strategy, and that's uplifting, right? Like, you keep picking people off, that's going to make me feel great. Yeah, you got your rose-tinted glasses on, don't you? Uh, running up my ski hill is a, is a blessing, and being slow at the swim and getting to pick people off. like we got, We're wearing rose-tinted glasses, I think. That's a good way to live life. you got to um, find silver lining. Well, let's <laughs> – yeah, you found it. Um, well, let's wrap this thing up. Mike, is there um, – I looked at your blog. It was like running with the bear, the bear running or something. Um, you can tell me what that is, but I had seen it hasn't been updated in years since you finished your 50, your last 50, 50th marathon. I don't think it's been updated unless I missed something. So what I'm asking is where can people follow along with what you're doing or keep in the loop on, on what you have going on anywhere right now? Sure. Yeah. So the blog summarizes all of those marathons and you're right. The last one was the New Mexico finale. That one is, uh, a bear on the run uh, at blogspot.com. If you just look up a bear on a run, you'll find it in Google. Uh, but what I did after that was I, I have an Instagram account that's kind of that summarizes each of those, but then it's continued as to what I've been doing since then. And so that one is 50, like the number, just five zero, 50 sub three marathoner uh and that one is keeping Mm. everyone into what i'm transitioning into perfect that seems to be the spot to keep up with you then these days that's it yeah and strava right we're all there so that's right Mm. well we're gonna have to get together for uh, i think i'm fresh short path run yes absolutely i'm down for another one of those when was your last one uh probably less than a month ago i was out there maybe after leadville we'll have to rock this thing that sounds good. Like the day after Leadville, so Bracken has a chance. That's right. I, you know, it sounds awesome. <laughs> I like a challenge. <laughs> Book it. All right, well, let's wrap. It's been, uh, been great talking to you. You know you've been frozen and sideways for the last 15 minutes of our conversation, which has added a unique twist to our uh, interactions here. But appreciate your time, man. I'm going to look forward to following you and seeing what you, what you got going on coming up. So appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And uh, uh, you turned me on to the podcast a few months ago, and I enjoy what's what's to come. Well, we're looking forward to tracking you in Leadville. Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you, Mike. Bye.